Well, I'd like to say that God has no relics. God doesn't keep any relics. One man said that the Catholic Church had sold enough pieces of the cross to build Noah's Ark. <laughs> and people worshipped that. You know, they would have worshipped the serpent on a pole from, at Moses' day. And uh, people would worship relics. God didn't have any relics. And the Baptist temple uh, could have been a relic. Uh, because uh, I preached there one Sunday morning, and uh, we started revival. And on that Sunday morning, the uh, Stanley Bond, the Sunday school superintendent, brought a report to Dr. Billington, and it reported each class, numbers of each class. And there was 7,280 people in Sunday school that morning. And I had the card for a long time. I don't know what I've done with it, but I did have it. But even any of that stuff is, could have been a relic. But what I would like to see today that we don't see that we once had, and Brother John and I think would testify to this, is the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God among us. So oftentimes people just sign on to God like... Uh, uh, signing an agreement with General Motors. Uh, but Paul said in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, and it'd be a good thing for you to read that sometime, he said that he wanted the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. We need a demonstration today. Oh, we need God to demonstrate in our presence. And I hope that you'd pray for me that I might live to see the day when great conviction of the Holy Spirit of God would come back. Where people, while you preach, would cry out and run to the altar to get saved. That kind of a thing. Amen. One more question for you. Um, do you think God can still do a work today? Oh, he is doing a work. We don't see the revival here that we want. But other parts of the world, there are multitudes of people getting saved. I mean, uh, we met a man in China that had started 1,500 house churches. 1,500. Uh, there's great revival going on, uh, and souls are being saved in Iran, of all places. You don't hear about that, but it's happening. And uh, great revivals are hitting the Philippines, and the Filipinos... Uh, one church that uh, I helped start back in 1953, I think it was, we, uh, a whole bunch of us got together and sacrificed money to get this land for this missionary, and he bought it. Then he wrote back and said, well, there's another piece of land. <laughs> then we did it again, and he bought that. I was over there about two years ago and preached in that church. They're running a thousand in Sunday school. They have a big auditorium. They have a Bible college, and that Bible college building is a four-story high brand new building with an elevator in it. And they have this big gymnasium, and they're supporting missionaries in Africa, in Haiti, in, uh, in, in Mexico, and uh, uh, places in America. Uh, where they're starting some Filipino churches that end up supporting them back. But, you know, uh, uh, God's, God's doing something today. Sometimes we can't see it, but it's happening. 
And I, I just want to, I just want to say one thing, if I could. We need to pray for this new generation of teenagers and young married couples. They're facing things like we never faced, and uh, they're 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 involved in a world like nothing we've ever known. And here comes along now artificial intelligence that has got all the scientists in the world scared to death. And tonight, tonight, Haiti, where we, we have built four churches, in Haiti tonight, the president is asking Russia to send its troops in to Port-au-Prince to put down the anarchy that's going on among the uh, gangs of people warring in the streets of Port-au-Prince. Now, we really need to pray. We really need to get on our knees and say, oh God, Help us in these last days. But God's put us here. And like, uh, we don't want to like be like those men that hung their harps on the willow trees and wouldn't sing the songs of Zion. You remember that? Yep. Uh, we don't want to be that way. We want to know that we're here right now for this job. And we shouldn't complain to God that God's got us here. I thank God that I'm here. Well... You see, I'm only allergic to two things, death and Democrats. <laughs> so, Amen. Well, I grew up uh, listening to Brother Clayton every so often. He used to have tents. They had vehicles they traveled around in and uh, such an encouragement and a blessing. And uh, I knew I wanted to get him up here. I saw him at, at, at my uncle's funeral. And uh, he's been everywhere. All over, I think you told me 65 countries. Is that right? And uh, that's amazing. And so it's a real honor and blessing to have he and his wife here tonight. Brother Clayton, you preach for us. Somebody said, Brother Clayton, how many churches you started? And I said, I can tell you exactly. I said, how many? Not enough. I wish I could have. I was born and raised in the most prosperous time in the history of the world. And what little bit I've done, I'm ashamed of that I didn't do much more. All right, tonight, what I'd like to do is I would like to ask you to pray for us. Pray for Larry and Lois Clayton. Put us on your prayer list. Uh, we need your prayers right now, desperately. And when you pray for us, don't just say, Dear God, bless the Claytons, because there are some Claytons that shouldn't be blessed. <laughs> you probably got some cousins like that too, right? Amen? I call them cousinuts. But... Uh, Pray for us. And I'm going to ask you to pray for Lois and Larry Clayton. Two hours, I mean, two minutes a week. Just two minutes. That's all I'm going to ask for. Just, I know you've got a lot of other stuff to pray for. But pray for Larry and Lois Clayton. Just two minutes a week. Now you can say a lot in two minutes. You'd be surprised how much you can say to God in just two minutes of your time. Pray for us, would you please? One of the things I'd like for you to pray for is I'd like for you to pray that God would bless us in a new endeavor that we've got going. Uh, we've got to do something about America, right? Don't you think so? And uh, I, I believe in foreign missions, and right tonight I have a team of workers that I have sent to Pakistan 
And they're over there, this one doctor went with them, and they were going to have a medical clinic and an uh, a, uh, uh, educational clinic teaching the doctrine of the local church. We have a tremendous thing. We have said in the last year we have built an orphanage building, and we've got orphans in there now, and we're going to train them, and we're going to send them out, hopefully, in the next generation to win their own generation to Christ. But keep us in your prayer. Now, the new project that I've got is in a, a county in the state of Ohio, and it's, uh, it's Athens County. I don't know if you've heard of that or not, but the Ath- Akron, Uni- uh, the Ohio State, no, Ohio University is there. Not Ohio State, Ohio University. It's a big university in a small town, and it really needs evangelized, and there's one area out there in that county, uh, where uh, God has given us some land right in the midst of a needy people. The people are descendants of a North American uh, 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 tribe of Indians, we'd say, that lived there, and there was a man, a white man, married to a black slave woman in Virginia, before the Civil War, and they had children, and he left Virginia with her and the kids and came up to Ohio. He emancipated the kids and her, and they joined with that tribe. And that whole area there in Kilvert, Ohio, if you want to write that down to pray for us, Kilvert, K-I-L-V-E-R-T, that whole area Mixed-race people have absolutely no testimony gospel at all. And I hope that you'll pray for that. That's uh, Athens County, and the town, little town is Kilvert. And all up and down those country roads uh, are houses uh, of all kinds. It's uh, very much like an Indian reservation, if you've ever been on one. And I hope that you'll pray that God will bless us there. What we need is we need some money for the building of the properties that we have there in order to get them straightened out. They're a mess. have been neglected for many years. We've got some buildings we've got to burn down. We've got some that we have to repair. And we have a, we have a big camp there every year, just a primitive camp. It's different than most youth camps. Most youth camps, you know, as nice as a holiday, and, and which that's nice, that's good. I'm not against that. But we have them sleeping in a tent. They want to take a bath, they can take a bath in the creek. Them kids go out there and find them a frog, maybe a snake, and go up and down those hills, and guess what? The tele-cell phone don't work. There's no televisions out there that camp. The land we have is on a dead-end road. Out there in the middle of nowhere, quiet, peaceable, beautiful place, and uh, we take them out there, and you know what? The dad and the boys, it's a man and, uh, man and boy camp, the dad and boys talk to one another. Wow. They find out that their dad speaks English. Wow. People don't talk anymore. I could preach a whole sermon on that. I'd love to tonight. I have about four sermons I want to preach. We'll get out of here by breakfast. Uh, but uh, 
I'll tell you this, one of the problems we have is there's very little good communications with families and with kids, especially young people. You men need to talk to your boys, talk to them. Get them out away from everything and talk to them. You ladies, you need to talk to your girls. Teach them how to be ladies. That's important. You know, I'm going to venture to say something here tonight that has absolutely rocked my boat. And I didn't know, I did, dumb as I am, I didn't know what was going on in America. But you know, in school now, some of these people are taking their little boys and castrating them and giving them female hormones. To make them little girls. What in the world of common sense is that? We're, that's child abuse. Oh boy. Well, this goes on from there, doesn't it? Huh? But uh, I thank God that I'm here and I've got an opportunity to serve the Lord in these days and times. Okay, it's, uh, it's only 546 tonight in Chicago. So I'm going to preach to you. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles, if you would please, to John chapter 17. I'm going to preach a little bit out of John chapter 13, John chapter 14, 15, 16, and then 17. I hope I don't bore you. I hate a boring preacher, don't you? Said that uh, this boring preacher got up to preach in this church, and there was an old grandpa in that church, that every time the preacher started preaching, he'd go to sleep. And he'd snort while he's sleeping. And said, we've got a guest preacher coming in here. It's boring. And Grandpa's going to go to sleep. And that snoring and snorting and all he does is uh, going to bother that preacher. So they hired a little boy and gave him 50 cents to sit by Grandpa and keep him awake. Said, punch him or pinch him, whatever it takes. Don't let Grandpa sit there and snort. And so the preacher got up to preach, monotone preaching. And old Grandpa went sound asleep and snorted and snorted all through the sermon. And so they went to the little boy afterwards and said, We gave you 50 cents to keep Grandpa awake. Now, why didn't you do it? He said, Because Grandpa gave me a dollar to let him sleep. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> So don't go to sleep on me now, but I'm going to talk to you about something tonight, if I could. It was dark in Jerusalem. The sun had set. It was the busiest time of the year for Jerusalem. They said that there's as many as 100,000 guests coming to Jerusalem to celebrate. Jerusalem wasn't all that big, so the people were sleeping everywhere, no doubt. Even out on the Mount of Olives, they were sleeping out in the open air because it was Passover. In the city of Jerusalem, there was a uh, building uh, that was rented by a teacher and his students. To celebrate the Passover together. They got in that building. And they celebrated. 
One of the students was a, a betrayer, and he left the group during their celebration. And after the celebration was over, like here in John chapter 13, you got your Bible? Now open it up. I want you to go with me. Now before the feast, in verse 1 of the Passover, they, they were celebrating the Passover. And in verse 2, and the supper, supper being ended. They did all the things that the Bible talks about Jesus and the disciples in this first last supper that they had together. And when in the middle of it all, Jesus began to teach. He taught some marvelous lessons. Here in John chapter 13, John chapter 14, and you remember that. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He was telling the disciples in the 13th chapter that he had come to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. And then he says, don't get troubled here. But there was trouble in the streets of Jerusalem. I'm sure that the streets were lit by torches bright all night. I'm sure that there was Roman soldiers walking up and down the streets to make sure that they kept everything in order with their heavy helmets and their leather breastplates, their shiny swords and uh, hard-soled sandals on the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem. Right in the midst of all this, Jesus was teaching his disciples, get ready for something. Something big is about to happen here. The fulfillment of my, my coming here. And the Bible says that when they were through in, uh, with the Lord's Supper in chapter 16, verse 5, they went out. And Matthew 26 and verse 30, the Bible said they sang a hymn and they went out. Look at uh, 16, verse 5. But now I go my way. To him that sent me. Jesus says, it's over and here we go. And they left. And they went out in the streets. They walked through those streets of Jerusalem together. I would imagine they were looking around because I'm sure there were pocket pickpockets and thieves that had come to Jerusalem because the crowds were there. I, I'm sure that the taverns were open and there was drunken people staggering down the streets. You can imagine the atmosphere of this. And they walked down those cobblestone streets by the temple. Boy, Jesus was so familiar with that temple. As a boy, I'm sure that the oldest son of the family, he probably carried the lamb himself in there to be sacrificed and knowing that he himself would be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Can you feel a little bit of the pathos in his heart? He could smell the wood burning at the altar. 
Probably her could hear some lambs screaming as they were slaughtered. And he walked to the eastern gate with his disciples. That eastern gate was mammoth. It took 20 men to open one side of the eastern gate. It was so big. And when he went through the eastern gate, laying before him was a valley. The Kidron Valley. Off to the right, there was a drain that drained the temple. It was a big drain. It was so big that people could walk in it. But it drained the temple. And they, when they washed down the altars and the, the floor of the temple, the blood of the lambs were drained out into the valley. Off to the right was the drainage of the temple. Down before him was a valley. All the things that happened in that valley. And in that valley someday Jesus is going to return. And he knew that. And on the other side of the valley is a mountain. Ten miles long. Mount of Olivet. Jesus takes his disciples and they walk down this hill. Quite a walk indeed. The pathways were very evident there. And he walked down these pathways to the edge of the little stream in the bottom of the valley. The Kidron, some called it the Kidron River, some would call it the Kidron Stream. And when he got to the Kidron Stream... He stopped. Now chapter 17. Do you have it? Jesus stopped there with his disciples. And the Bible says, Jesus spake these words. And the first word was, Father! Well, Father! The hour is come. You see that in the middle of that verse? Father, the hour is come. I wish I, could, I wish I could paint a good enough picture to draw your mind and your feelings around that moment. With 11 disciples behind him. Standing at the edge of that little stream, there could have been water in it because there, at that time, probably there was rain in Jerusalem. It could have been dry, but he stopped at the edge of that little stream and he called out to his father. You know, among all the wonderful things Jesus is and was, is that he was a human. He wasn't only God, but he was also man. And so many of the feelings that you and I experience, he experienced. And the Bible says all the temptations. Never have you done a temptation in, or had a temptation in your life that Jesus did not have. But he was above sin. And he says, Father, Glorify thy son, that thy son may glorify thee. <clears throat> Jesus starts thinking about the glory. Look at verse 5. You have it? 
And now, O Father, glorify thou me with the, thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I'm sure that Jesus was homesick at the moment. Homesick for the presence of the Father. Homesick for heaven. Remembering that wonderful experience of being there in heaven. He now says, Father, I want you to glorify me with the same glory that I had. Oh, I wish I knew more about that glory. How I'd love to be able to tell you more about that wonderful state and that wonderful experience called glory here. He said, I want the glory at this moment that I had with you before the world was begun. And in verse 6, he says this about part of that glory that he's asking. I have magnified thy name unto the men. See that? Men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were and thou gavest them me and they have kept thy word. I want you to glorify me and the men that are with me. Wow. But he wasn't only just praying for the men that was with him. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of preaching in this chapter. I wish that, I wish that you and I could spend a month on this chapter. We could just preach it and preach it. There's so much in here. And I'm just getting the top level of thought here uh, as I see it tonight. He said, these men. And he says, look in verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on the, uh, on me through their word. That's you and me. He was praying for you and me. He was praying for my daddy, a Christian gentleman born and raised in Wayne County, Tennessee. He's praying for my wonderful mother. The woman I grew up under, I was her, I was her last child. They always say it was the best one to last, I told someone here. And uh, Mama had ten of them. She said, you're the baddest boy I ever had, and she had six boys. So you can imagine what I was. But that's who he's praying for. He's praying for my dear wife. That all those years ago, in Baptist Bible College, I said, wilt thou, and she wilted. And we've been together ever since. And somebody said, Brother Clayton, you've been all these places, and put, she's had to live out of suitcases and home alone without you and all that. Did she ever think about leaving you? I said, why, no, she left me. I just go with her. Amen. <laughs> she's not going to go anywhere without me, that's for sure. But he was praying for us. Standing there at that little brook, he was praying for us. Look at the background that he has. There's the hill that goes up to the wall of Jerusalem. As I said, there's the drain of the temple. There's the eastern gate. I've stood there and seen Jerusalem from that spot. And I'm telling you, it's, it's all 
uh, setting. It's, it's breathtaking to see the, the, the beauty of that place. It has its own beauty, so different than any other place on earth. And he prays for you and me. Thank you, Jesus. Now I want to I want to tell you what he prays for real quick. One of the things he prays for here is in verse eleven. Father, keep through thine own name and those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. He asks his father to keep them. For we are kept by the power of God through faith in the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Hey, I couldn't keep myself. Jesus is the keeper. God is the keeper. And that's what Jesus prays here for. You and me in this church right here. God keeps this church. This is God's church. I've always known that. Ever since I heard it for the first time about it. And everybody else that's been here knows that this is God's church. And God was praying for this church to be kept. And he uses people to keep it. Like the pastor and his family and and the leaders of the church. And I congratulate you for falling in that category as keeper. He says keep them. And then in verse 13, and now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world. I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in the midst. He prays for joy for us. God wants us to be joyful Christians and rejoice in him and have glory in our souls. And again, God's wonderful keeping power. And then down here in verse 16, that they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Oh, verse 17, sanctify them, set them apart. So that's what God, Jesus prays for. And he prays that we'd be one in Christ, not separated and in division and in trouble, but together working for him and loving him and following him. All right? That's his prayer. As soon as he gets through his prayer, chapter 18, okay? Look at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kidron, where was a garden in the which he entered and his disciples. When he got through praying his prayer, he made a step. He made a step. He crossed over the brook. What a step. He says in verse 1, My hour, the hour has come, Father. The hour had come for him to make that step. Just one step, maybe. I don't know. 
What's on the other side? The gardens. Where he goes with his disciples. What's on the other side? A brand new whole set of events that had never happened before in the history of mankind and will never happen again. On the other side of that step, there's the garden. That's a place of agonizing prayer where Jesus, the Son of the living God, prays so hard that the sweat, as it were, were great drops of blood. On the other side of that step, there was the betrayal of Judas's kiss. On the other side of that step, there was his arrest and was taken by a little old army that belonged to the high priest. It wasn't even a Roman garrison. Early in the morning, they were probably dragging their spears. Just a joke like the three stooges come to arrest him and they take him back up that hill back through that gate into the Sanhedrin where there are 70 seats to condemn him. On the other side of that step, something completely never happened before. Jesus bound, tied together his hands and arms And a little man jumps out of the seats of the Sanhedrin and runs up and slaps him in the face and then spits on him. And they buffet him. That means they beat him in the face with their fists like a boxer does a punching bag. On the other side of that step, there's a betrayal, there. There's the whip of the whip of the nine of the of the cat cattail, whatever they call it, whipped him until his back looked like a new plowed field, and ever furrow filled with blood, furrow filled with blood. He makes the step, and then there's the bloody cross. The death, the entombment, and bless God, the resurrection. It was a step. I wonder if God has a step for me at this age. Boy, I don't want any to miss any step he has for me. I pray for him all the time. Oh God, please don't let me miss any opportunities to serve you, Lord God. I wonder if he has a step for me. Do you remember the old song, Each Step I Take Draws Me Nearer Home? We've got steps in our lives to take. I wonder if God's got a step for you tonight, young people. I wonder if God's got a step for you, dads and mothers. 
I wonder if God's got a step for you, old folks. Businessman. Educator. Ordinary worker. Factory man. Merchant. Whomever we might be. You know, life is full of steps. It's not a gradual plane going upward. Life is full of steps, a step at a time, upward. It's, it's a pro- progressive experience, a step at a time. You know, every time you make a step, there are many big changes that take place. A step in your family. When you first got married, that was a great step. Babies came along, each one of them's a step. Opportunities bigger in the church. Progress in life, those steps. I wonder if God's got a step for you and for me tonight. I, I, believe, I believe if there's a step for us, I believe that God will show us what that step is while I'm preaching. A step. For some of you, it might be a step to get saved. Come to Christ and get born again. Someone said a lot of our people in our church are not saved. I believe that. It might be a step for you to take a stand for the Lord in baptism, church membership, service to God, something God's been trying to get you to do for a long time knocking on your heart's door, asking you to make that step, God will show it to us. Jesus made that step. Thank God he did. He didn't go back to Jerusalem as the healer. Now he goes to Jerusalem as the sacrifice. The Lamb is going to make his ascent up the hill through the eastern gate under the brazen altar of death and blood. He's going to make that step for me. I think I ought to be willing to make a step for him. Let's bow our heads in prayer.